Welcome to Inside the Bradfield Centre. My name is James Parton. I'm the Managing Director of the Bradfield Centre. And I'm Adelina Chalmers. I'm known as the Geek Whisperer. Joining us on today's episode is Emmy Nicholl, who is the fabulous deal sorcerer at Cambridge Angels. So I'm really looking forward to this episode. I've been trying to get Emmy on for ages, all the way back to episode one, because, you know, for me, Cambridge Angels are a great example of one of those organisations that operate right in the heart of what's going on inside Cambridge. Yeah, and me also interested to hear how the way Cambridge Angels invests was impacted by COVID, because I know they have usually face-to-face pitches and they have these formal dinners where they involve the founders. So I'm really interested to, to hear that. Uh, and how how do you invest in someone you've never met? You know, so I want to hear what you have to say about that. Also, I want to hear about the top common mistakes that people make when they pitch to Cambridge Angels. Obviously, having helped people make pitches for investment, I'm very familiar with the mistakes I've seen. But I want to see if they match, and if these mistakes are still made by people um, who obviously don't have a chance to talk to me about it beforehand. Yeah, and uh, just building on that, for the entrepreneurs listening, just want to understand from Emmy what their investment criteria is, you know, what, what they're looking for, what do they invest in, so it should be a great conversation. Hi Emmy, thank you so much for joining us inside the Bradfield Centre podcast. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. Tell us a little bit about your background to begin with. Yeah, sure. So I have a, an educational background in applied linguistics uh, with a, a heck of a long degree name. So if you're ready for this one, I have a degree in languages and literature with a specialization in language learning in a multilingual society. So there you go. That took up the whole certificate on, on my wall. Uh, but I, I was a educated in South Africa, and so that's a particularly relevant topic in South Africa where there are no fewer than 11 official languages. So it was, it was a really interesting and, and topical uh, area of study. But I didn't particularly uh, intend to pursue a career in that, so pretty smartly I was off into the technology space, initially in financial services. I did a lot in consulting and telecoms, um, but my roles have always been around strategic projects, and I think that's a reasonable catch-all for, for what I do. Uh, in that I usually get deployed to fix stuff. So businesses that are moving from small into medium or medium into large. So usually I've been I've been sort of brought into companies to fix things. So that may be changing in systems or the way things are reported or building up teams and generally just helping businesses transition. So I did actually work in, in one of the Cambridge startups uh, before I joined Cambridge Angels, and that was an incredibly valuable experience. It didn't go on to successfully exit, which, uh, though painful at the time, was actually a, a really, really good learning curve. And it's helped me in my current role because I can actually sort of spot uh, early stage warning signs for companies that approach Cambridge Angels. I'm, I'm not claiming to be any kind of uh, crystal ball gazing predictor of, of success, but it certainly does help to, to see these things. So when I left that company, I, I sent myself back out into the Cambridge ecosystem to learn a bit more. And that's where I was very fortunate to meet uh, some of the Cambridge Angels and eventually find my way into being Cambridge Angels Deal Sorcerer, which is my job title, which causes a, a lot of amusement. But what that was really was a slip of the tongue from our former chair who was actually trying to talk about a deal sorcerer. In other words, somebody who sources deals uh, and it stuck. But it kind of fits with the quirky Cambridge scene. So that's, uh, that makes me happy. 
But that, that brings us nicely up to kind of the current day, present day with Cambridge Angels. So obviously the, the, the people listening to this within Cambridge are highly likely to have heard of Cambridge Angels. But for the for the people a little bit further afield and actually about 30 percent of the listeners are outside of the UK at the moment, which is a little interesting fact there. Um, so why don't you tell us about Cambridge Angels, you know, the organisation and maybe how long it's been going and, and maybe some of the companies that you guys have invested in that have gone on to, you know, some great things. Yeah, happy to. So Cambridge Angels was founded in 2001, so we're about to celebrate our 20th anniversary, which is amazing. And it was founded by Robert Sansom and David Cleveley. They had the intention of supporting early stage tech businesses in Cambridge. Uh, many of our members are responsible for some of the Cambridge phenomenon success stories that you hear about, like Abcam and Raspberry Pi. So we've got an incredible group of members. We have around 60 individual members and five corporate members. So those corporate members are some of the VCs in and around Cambridge. Uh, we have really close ties with the ecosystem in Cambridge, including the University, Cambridge Enterprise, uh, the Judge Business School, and all of the wonderful support networks around Cambridge, obviously, including Bradfield Centre. We're certainly one of the more active groups, uh, angel investment groups in the UK. Uh, we did just over £19 million in investment last year, which I think is a, a phenomenal story, really, considering 2020 was the year that it was. And uh, we've done, yeah, around 50 deals in, in last year. So, you know, in a year where people expected to not do a lot of new investment and support their portfolio companies, I think that that's a, a pretty great success story. We have around 100 portfolio companies. We're very proud of them. And some of our recent success stories include, in fact, a, a Bradfield Centre uh, member or somebody that was a member, uh, Spectral Edge, that exited in, in late 2019. Uh, other success stories include... Uh, great shots. Uh, so we, we have some, some really brilliant success stories. Can I ask you, um, Emmy? This is really interesting. There's a few questions I had when you when you started talking about you know last year in particular the amount of investment you managed to make. I mean, 19 million, considering how tumultuous 2020 was, is quite quite something. So normally, I know that Cambridge Angels um, have pitches face to face from people. Um, where they come and make a pitch and then they have questions and a discussion about at the end of the pitch. How how did that change? Because obviously I imagine you couldn't do face-to-face -face pitches. How did that change? How do you get people to do pitches now? And how has that impacted the way you make investments? You know, I mean, the, you could be investing in people you've never physically met. So I was just wondering, uh, do you have any um, any feedback on, on how that, that transition happened? Because it'd be very interesting to hear. Adelina, you're absolutely right. And we, we did have to change pretty much our entire model. And it certainly did affect the way that we invested or that our group invested. But I think one important thing to note is that that number represents both new and follow-on. So there was a lot of support for, for the existing portfolio. So that, that doesn't split out. It's not entirely new investment. And the second thing to note is that a good amount of that investment, probably around uh, two-thirds of that investment was from deals where either our members already had some relationship, some link with the founders, or perhaps they were carrying through from pre-COVID, so from pre-lockdown pre times. So I think that the short answer is that it slowed down the process. So you're absolutely right. Sometimes we'd never met the founders. It was all online. This interaction was all online. And given that it's early stage investment where you have to build up a relationship of trust, that certainly did uh, you know, play a role in, in our, our, our members feeling comfortable with the founders because it's difficult to build a relationship online. It's possible, but I think it just takes longer. So what we saw was a bit of a slowing down of that process rather than a halt. 
as a result of going online. Everything we did, we pitched online, we still met founders online. Uh, and in fact, in some ways, it worked really well for us because not all of our members are Cambridge-based. Some of our members are in London or even further afield, and that actually worked quite well for them rather than coming up to Cambridge in person to come and meet companies. Um, particularly in the earlier stages of the pitching process, it was quite convenient for them to, to just hop onto a Zoom call and, and end up meeting with founders. And, and in terms of the kind of, I guess, picking back up on Adelina's point there about, you know, in these kind of strange times where you're not necessarily kind of, you know, hanging out in places like the Bradfield and people are spontaneously bumping into you. How, how have you, with your kind of deal sorcerer hat on, how have you, you know, managed to keep your kind of uh, pipeline busy and, and reach out to folks, you know, and, and do your scouting side of things? How have you, how have you coped in that situation? Yeah, it's really interesting because it has changed the world in that way and, and you know, hanging out at the Bradfield and just bumping into people and meeting people and people stopping by my desk to say hello. is you know, I really, really miss that. And that, that certainly did help. Um, but, you know, the Cambridge Angels brand is very strong. As you said, many people would have heard of Cambridge Angels. So in that sense, quite fortunate that people are still actively approaching the group and we're still able to, to meet people online. But our members themselves, bring a lot of good opportunities. So they're constantly meeting with people and getting to hear about amazing companies. So we're fortunate. It, it hasn't slowed down the opportunities for us to speak to to great companies. Okay. And, and a question then, I guess, you know, especially for the entrepreneurs that are listening to this, um, what, what kind of investment criteria do you have? Because obviously you're representing quite a diverse set of people. So I'm guessing, um, you know, the, the criteria could be quite quite broad and a kind of a follow-on question to that um you're you're actively investing outside of cambridge as well as inside cambridge is that correct yeah i'll answer the first question first so we do um just over half of our portfolio is in fact in cambridge and surrounds so you can certainly say that we invest more in cambridge than anywhere else the balance of the portfolio generally tends to be in london not too far afield I think that the, the current circumstances have changed that to some extent in that, of course, you can meet more people more readily. But just given that our, our angels networks and the ecosystem is here, I think it's still safe to say that Cambridge businesses would be our, our first, you know, the, the first place we would look for, for opportunities to invest. Uh, so our members are almost exclusively B2B, deep tech and or healthcare investors. So it's Probably note, it's worth noting that around three quarters of our members are exited entrepreneurs themselves. In other words, they are tech entrepreneurs that have built and sold their own businesses. So they have walked this journey. They understand the tech you know, pathway to success, which I think is a really good benefit for, for entrepreneurs who, who approach us. Um, but it does mean that they like to invest in, in the world that they understand, and that is primarily the tech world. So things that, that founders should really think about if they're approaching the group are, I mean, you know, sort of standard stuff around team tech traction. It's early stage. So almost the first thing our group will look at is the team. Are, they, are you the right team to invest in? So do you have the right background? Do you have the right expertise? Do you have the right uh, sort of uh, energy to take this forward? And then the tech, is it interesting tech? Is it defensible? Uh, is it something that has you know, something innovative, something new, something interesting. And then traction, but traction, you know, sometimes people get caught up in the idea of revenue as traction. What we really mean is there, is there a clear market need for this? Do you have some evidence that people actually want this? So, yeah, strong teams, defensible, novel and interesting tech and some evidence of market need. I think those are the, the primary things that we look for. So, Emmy, what would you say are the top three types of mistakes that people make when they pitch to Cambridge Angels? Because they're... 
I mean, I've, I've, you know, I've, I've helped people for years make pitches for investment, and I've seen the classic mistakes that I've noticed. But I'm really interested to see what, what sort of mistakes have you seen startups, startup founders making when they pitch for investment to Cambridge Angels? I think one of the, the first things, and one of the, the things that comes out quite often, is the fact that people struggle to focus. So being able to articulate very clearly what problem you're solving and how your solution is going to solve that with some clear, tangible use cases is really, really effective. And I think that, that being a bit scattered and not being clear about the solution is, is a fault that we see quite often. And I completely get that because as a founder, you're really excited about your business and all the potential it has and all the things you can do and all the markets you can possibly address. So I completely get that. But I think that that's something that we see really often uh, is just that lack of focus. And then I guess the other thing that perhaps more on pitch decks than in the actual pitching process is not putting your team's best foot forward. So again, we're investing in early stage teams. This isn't something where you can clearly show the metrics and go, right, we've got this much revenue and that much margin. This is early stage, which means that what the angel investors are really investing in is you as the founder. So putting that team information up and really just promoting the team and making sure that you you put the best foot forward uh, is something that's really important to our group. Can I just clarify when you say put your team's best foot forward, can you give us an example of what you mean by that? Because in my experience, uh, putting your team's best, best foot forward uh, looked like them putting a picture of a, of a team member with a job title and that's it, you know, without really explaining why is this person best placed to bring this company to success and, and kind of showing some example from their past or talking about something that makes this person relevant considering where they're headed. Uh, but that's my experience. Can you give us an example of what you mean by that? Alina, I completely support your experience. I think that's exactly what we see is sort of a team slide that's got some photos and a job title. Uh, but that doesn't mean that you're the right person for this particular business. So I completely agree that the pedigree around why you're the right person to take this forward, what experience have you had in doing this before? Um, you know, serial startup founders, people who've done this before and have, have demonstrated success are obviously more likely to, to receive a look in than somebody who hasn't done it before or somebody who's got deep expertise in the area, somebody who's got the right uh, perhaps educational background or the right research background. Uh, these are all things. But basically, as you say, it's just about the relevance. So why are you the relevant and right person for this, this company? Just to pause the conversation a second and tell you a little bit more about the changes we're making at the Bradfield Centre, we now offer a whole range of new flexible membership packages which support homeworkers, hybrid homeworking blended with access to high quality office space and meeting room hire by the hour. Starting from as little as £45 per month, visit bradfieldcentre.com for more information or call 01223 919 600. So, Amy, we talk a lot about Cambridge uh, on the podcast, obviously. Um, you know, we've, we've touched on a little bit of the Cambridge magic in some of the conversations so far. But, you know, uh, in your words, how would you describe kind of what makes Cambridge special and the kind of all of the different pieces that go to contribute, you know, to such a vibrant technology and science uh, entrepreneurial ecosystem? I think Cambridge is the most amazing big village in that you're never more than a couple of degrees of separation from somebody who's done something amazing. And yet, in spite of all of that incredible achievement, the people in Cambridge are really modest and they usually want to help. They want to give their time and they're very willing to to 
put their energy back into the ecosystem. One of the things that we do is we offer office hours with some of our angels. So they're quite willing to give up an hour or two of their time every now and then just to meet with founders. There's no there's no agenda, there's no motivation for them other than just this willingness to help. So that's something that we actually run at the Bradfield Centre when we can um, for our angels just to answer questions. So it's pretty structured, but, you know, we, we take applications for it, but we allow founders to come in and just ask them questions in a surgery type environment. And I think that's one of the beauties of Cambridge is that this connected ecosystem allows people to genuinely help. And even if they can't help themselves, they usually know somebody who can. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm guessing, you know, the, the university and the talent pipeline that that uh, produces, have you got kind of a, a, a close relationship with folks like Cambridge Enterprise and, and uh, what's going on at the university? We absolutely do. We we stay very close to Cambridge Enterprise and them to us. We love to see the stuff that's coming out of there. And of course, for them, uh, it's an easy route into some early stage funding and some, some mentoring and guidance from uh, entrepreneurs who've been there and done that. Mm, absolutely. Amy, could I ask you to, because um, I'm just thinking in terms of people accessing um, Cambridge Angels, would you mind um, describing a bit the journey that the startup founder would take when contacting you? So, for example, you know, do they go to the website? Do they have to email you first? And then what, what, what happens next and what happens after that? And what sort of things will you ask? You know, what's, what's the journey um, that the founder goes through? So people listening to this who are tech founders who perhaps are thinking of um, approaching Cambridge Angels to really know how can they approach and what to expect? I think it, as with anything in life, a warm introduction is the best route to get to know somebody. So if the founder has links in Cambridge and they can find their way to me or to one of our angels, that's absolutely brilliant. That doesn't have to be the path. It is possible for founders to send in an application to our email address. So yes, on the website, it'll give the, the process. But really, you could send an application in uh, requesting, you know, for it to be reviewed and for the possibility to pitch to the group. Assuming that there is interest in seeing the pitch, one of the first things we do is what we call an informal pitch. And it's only informal in the sense that it's not slide-based, so there's not a presentation where you stand up and present your business. It's more conversational. So we have around 15 to 20 of our angels in the current times on a Zoom call, and actually that's worked quite well for us, uh, with the founders just telling the story. So all the same components that you would have in a, in a full formal pitch, but just in a more conversational setting. And the, the advantages of doing it that way are obvious in that we get to know the founder more than getting to know their PowerPoint presentation. Uh, assuming there's interest from that, so our angels have a discussion about it, and they decide if they're interested in following up, uh, if that progresses beyond the informal stage, which, by the way, the, if it doesn't progress beyond the informal stage, the founders still walk away with some amazing connections, advice, feedback, uh, and you know, possibly good introductions. But if it does progress, it may go on to what we call a, a formal pitch or a dinner pitch, in which case they would be sponsored by one of our angels. So one of our members actually says, right, I'm willing to bring this to the group. And that's a bit more of a, a formal stand-up presentation. Uh, and then from there, assuming there's interest in, in proceeding to the next step, they would go into full due diligence with one of our angels leading on the possibility for investment. Um, so there are various stages. It's not quite as sequential as I'm making it sound. Sometimes things you know, drop in and out of these stages. But the access to the group is, yes, indeed, either through our website or else, if you can, definitely go and get a warm introduction. And people like the Bradfield Centre are great for helping you introduce to the right people, um, including me, if you want access to Cambridge Angels. Yeah, absolutely, Emmy. Yeah, we'd be more than happy to, you know, to help have those initial conversations and point people in the right direction. And I'm just wondering how, 
how is is that uh, formal? Because normally it used to be a formal dinner, wasn't it, where people were inviting uh, when they were sponsored by one of the Cambridge Angels. So I presume this this year you didn't have formal dinner. So was it just a follow up Zoom call then? Oh, you'd be surprised, Alina. We managed to get uh, five formal <laughs> events into the calendar uh, between when we came out of lockdown at the end of summer and when we went back into lockdown in winter. Um, so, oh wow, amazing! <laughs> so we did actually have a couple of those formal events, but yes, at the moment everything is online. So we still do them. It's just that it's online, and I don't think there's any replacement for face-to-face interaction and the opportunity to network with a group of our angels in a you know a face-to-face setting. But it, it you know we, we don't want to halt the progress. We don't want to stop companies from pitching. We don't want to stop companies having access to our angels. So we do continue with an online program, and it works. It perhaps just works a little less uh, quickly than a face-to-face interaction. So, Amy, you touched on, you know, a positive 2020 with the, the number of deals and the, the value of the investments. Uh, how does how does 2021 look to you guys? You know, how do you see things shaping up? Um, any kind of hot trends that you're kind of looking forward to getting invested in? Just, I think we've seen the very predictable trend towards digital healthcare, uh, and we certainly have a very strong healthcare group within our membership. So we're absolutely looking at that trend. There are obviously other trends like uh, EdTech, which has taken off. You know, Anything that, that is creating this digitization of, of services that were previously in person, we're very closely sticking with. Um, but really, our, our group continues to invest in deep tech. So we're still looking at, at things that are coming out of the university in material science, uh, biomaterials, cybersecurity, machine learning. There's a lot of exciting stuff happening. What made you choose the Bradfield Centre to host the Cambridge Angels there? I'm really interested to hear a bit more about your your your, your priorities there. I mean, in the beginning, it was really just the relationship that we had with, with James and the team. Uh, and it made perfect sense for us to, to have a base where we knew that lots of cool tech companies would also find themselves. So it, it's about positioning ourselves where we know that there's a good ecosystem for us to spend time in. I mean, when we when we first thought about what the Bradfield could and should be, you know, it, it made total sense to try to co-locate the various kind of uh, organisations that entrepreneurs need to build successful businesses alongside, you know, a, a high class workspace where they could grow and scale their companies. So, you know, right from the off, we were always, you know, keen to work with uh, UME and Cambridge Angels. And, you know, hopefully it's been a, a fantastic kind of partnership over the last few years. Looking forward to it to continue. It, it has worked really well for us. And I think that the, the you know, we use that phrase, uh, engineered serendipity. I think that's one of the, the most powerful things that you and your team do, James, is just making sure that not only can you bump into people while you're at the Bradfield Centre, but also that the introductions that you make are meaningful and relevant and really helping to connect that ecosystem. And that's actually something that I wanted to say as well. Um, and I'm not trying to make James blush by saying this, but I found the culture in the Bradfield Centre, which I, I, I'm 100% sure was fostered by James and the team, um, 
so welcoming at the Bradfield, and this is why I I kind of I'm hanging around the Bradfield all the time uh, when I when I am allowed and I can. Uh, just such a welcoming environment, and it's so friendly, and and also the very fact I think that the cafe opens up to people outside of the Bradfield membership, you know, which means that you can mix with all sorts of people and and um, have amazing ideas kind of bubbling up into the cafe area. I think it's um, makes the Bradfield Center very special to me. I agree, and I think there's also just a bit of a wow factor just in, in terms of the, the building itself. Is uh, walking into that amazing glass-fronted building and, and looking up into the the really uh, you know aesthetically appealing architecture is just brilliant. It, it, it's a gem. Well, Emmy, thanks so much for your time. Fascinating conversation. You, you've got an exciting role. I guess you're seeing everything you know coming over the horizon, which must be you know a real privilege. Um, Thank you for coming on. And, and people, I guess, should keep an eye on things to, for when the office hours start back up. Absolutely. Thank you. And yes, I absolutely love my role. I, I have a brilliant job. Uh, and yes, please, when we're back in person, it would be really good to, to see people again. To stop by at the Bradfield Centre. Um, and until then, yes, do keep an eye on, on office hours. We're still doing them online. Uh, and we look forward to being back in person when we can. It was really interesting to hear how Cambridge Angels have been able to still carry on investing. I mean, 19 million last year. That's thoroughly impressive, despite COVID, despite lockdown. Um, also nice to hear uh, that she agrees with uh, and, and sees the same problems that I see when I help companies pitch for investment. Um, and uh, it was nice to hear um, confirmation that um, clearly people that I haven't spoken to anyway uh, go to Cambridge Angels and make the same mistakes that I've seen over and over again when people show me their uh, pitch decks. So um, don't remember any tech founders looking to pitch to Cambridge Angels. Be very clear about um, problem and the solution you are solving and uh, keep these three key words in mind, team, tech and traction. You know, is your team really the right team? Uh, or if it's not the right team, just say to the angel investors what plans you have in place to uh, get the right team in place for investment. So really, um, really great here to hear some practical tips there for people who want to pitch to Cambridge Angels. Yeah, and talking about practical, you know, really interesting to hear how they've adapted, you know, due to COVID, having to move a lot of their offline activity into online activity, but also, you know, great to hear how important the uh, the value of face-to-face is, both in terms of getting to build relationships and networking, but also that kind of spontaneous uh, piece of, you know, all being co-located in the same place and bumping into interesting people. And, you know, as Emmy said, uh, Spectral Edge, a great example of a success story for Cambridge Angels and also, you know, someone that we count as a success story for the Bradfield Centre. It was great to, to have the team with us for, a, you know, a, a number of years and just fantastic that they went on to be acquired by Apple. So uh, a great success all around. Thank you to Emmy for coming onto the show and also to Carl Homer of Cambridge TV for producing the show. To listen to this and to previous episodes, you can search for Inside the Bradfield Centre on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Podcasts, Stitcher, etc. Or by going to bradfieldcentre.com. Bye.